What do you love about being outside and active? I'm, I'm sure I've spent more time outdoors than in. That just feels like home. Enjoy what you can do because you never know what is around the corner. Just being outdoors in the fresh air, it just clears my mind. Fully immersed in nature is what brings me the most joy. This week on the Outside and Active podcast, my guest is Flora Beverly. Flora is an inspirational food and fitness blogger as well as a model and mental health advocate. Having graduated with a degree in biology, she enjoys debunking diet myths and promotes living a balanced lifestyle both in fitness and in nutrition. Flora uses her social media to talk to her audience about important issues and helps make the fitness world a more welcoming environment. And in this episode, as well as talking to Flora about her own health and fitness journey, she also offers some advice on how runners can be more aware of their environmental impact. Just before we jump into this episode, if you think you know someone who would enjoy this episode just as much as you, then please forward it on to them. Let's grow this outside and active community. Also, if you're watching on YouTube, leave a like and a subscribe. If you're listening on your choice of podcasting platform, then please leave a review and follow along so you won't miss episodes in the future. Now let's get straight into this episode with my guest this week, Flora Beverly. Hello and welcome back to the Outside and Active podcast where today I'm joined by Flora. Flora, hello, how are you? I'm very well, thanks. How are you doing? I'm good, but I I haven't started my Friday as productively as you have. We were just talking before we started about how you've, you know, you've already up, you've met a friend for a coffee, you've been for a run, and I've just rolled out of bed, set up a microphone, and then jumped on into a call with you. (laughs) (laughs) They're not always that productive. I feel like I'm very much like a fair weather kind of early morning gal, and at the moment it's been so beautiful. There yeah. has been nothing better than getting out really early and like having a coffee. And I feel like actually compared to parents, for example, I really don't get up that early. I actually have it pretty easy. <laughs> True. Well, still still more productive than me so far. You you've run. I've got my run on the agenda, so that's that's coming later. But um, we're going to kick off this episode with something that we do on every episode with every guest, and that's where I offer you a piece of advice, but it's not from me, it's from someone who has been on the podcast previously and they've left a piece of advice and they don't know who they're leaving it for. But funnily enough, this comes from a runner, so this could be quite, could be quite helpful, and it comes from Anna Harding, and her advice Yay. is, done is better than none. And she went on to explain that sometimes if you want to get out Obviously, it relates to running, but it can be about anything. Um, Sometimes we just can't or don't want to give 100% to our fitness journey or whatever we're doing, but sometimes we can give 20%. So if you can only give 20%, then get, you know, put everything into that 20% and just do what you can. Because we've said on this podcast a load of times before, you never regret a run, you know, as soon as that, that run is high, that feeling. I mean, where does your inner motivation come from I mean you said you've already been out on your run this morning but where do you find that from well first of all I just want to say I am so on the same wavelength as Anna I adore Anna I think she is such an inspiration to so many people and I think there's a lot of like macho people on social media who are just just showing the highlights to their life and and you know they obviously come from a a crazy sporty background or they're professionals or whatever and I think Anna and I are just like so on the same wavelength of like something is better than nothing. Just give it your best shot. And then she goes out and does these mind blowing things. I am just, I am, I'm just Anna's biggest fan. So, <laughs> so this is very, <laughs> it's so nice of her to give me that advice. Really, really lovely. Um, in terms of my own 
motivation. Well, day to day, it's just because I enjoy it. Um, I would be lying if I said that I'm always motivated. Um, but the vast majority of the time, I do actually want to get out there and, and go for a run or go to the gym or, or literally just like go and take the dog for a walk. Um, it is, it's all, it's all good. It's all fun for me. Um, but then sometimes it's all about discipline. You know, um, you can't get to a stage, you can't get to like a certain stage without having a, an element of discipline in there as well. So it's a bit of a mix. Um, but yeah, generally I just really, really love being outside. Well, th- this question that we ask everyone as well leads on perfectly from that is what do you love about being outside and active? Um, it's kind of, it's a difficult question to answer because for me, it's so basal. Like I just feel at home in the outdoors and I feel like as humans, we are made, we are evolved to live outside, to be outside as much as possible. And that doesn't mean that I don't love my creature comforts, but actually (laughs) when it comes to feeling most at home outside of my actual home, I just really feel very relaxed. Like it's the time that... I have my greatest ideas. It's the time that I feel most calm. I can be sad and then I'll be happy. I can be overexcited and I'll be calm. And it just balances everything out. And I think there are very few things in our life where you can consistently go and do one thing and always have the same result, which is basically like feeling relaxed and happy. And being outside is is that place for me. And I've always really loved it. You know, I, I kind of, I wasn't the, I'm from London, but I definitely always felt at home in the countryside, basically in a woodland somewhere in a field somewhere, just like (laughs) existing. I don't think I was a very normal child. I basically just wanted to like spend all of my time outside doing kind of nothing. And I have continued to do that with the rest of my life and somehow made it my job. There's a few things that I've picked up from your answer that are really, um, really funny. The first thing is that whenever I ask people that question, it's usually, before they start speaking, it's usually preceded by a sigh, like a sigh of, (laughs) how can I summarise my emotions towards the outdoors, which is why I love asking that, because it actually makes people think about, well, I do love the outdoors, but why? Secondly, you said the same thing, a similar thing that Ray Mears said. He said that the outdoors is, I feel at home in the outdoors. And the third thing you said just towards the end about I, I don't think I was a normal kid, I just wanted to be outside. When ben, ben Fogel was on this podcast, he said something similar to that, saying, why why is it weird to be outdoors? Why do we, some, oh, I'm a bit weird, I love being outdoors. Whereas actually, like you said, we're at home in the outdoors. The, the, the idea of adventure and exploring different things is actually quite natural to us. So it's, three things I picked up from your from your from your answer that I, I really liked there. And I also, think, I, think that might, I think that might be the only time I've ever compared to Ray <laughs> Mears, but I will take it. Take it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you, you kind of touched on it there, but obviously now you, you love being outdoors, especially in, and running and stuff like that. But what was your relationship with like, like with the outdoors at a really young age and, and sport? Were you always sporty at school and things like that? So looking back, I was always active, but I think the term sporty, especially when referring to to kids at school, is is like, are you good at, well, for girls, netball, hockey, whatever. Yeah, are you sporty, good at netball and hockey? Yeah. yeah. No, I was awful <laughs> at both netball <laughs> and hockey. And I think I got in my head about it and thought, 
I'm just not a sporty kid. And I was really, I am really nerdy. Like, I really love science. I really love, like, just academia. Like, I love reading, like, all this kind of stuff. And in my head, you could only be sporty or academic. And I wasn't really good at sports, or at least the traditional sports that you do at school. And so I was like, okay, well, I'm the bookish kid then. But actually, looking back, I was super active, and I would go out and take myself for for a, a run it wasn't really a run I was basically running around in circles on a lawn um <laughs> just to move and like that is a really strange thing to do but actually I think it's because I wasn't getting that energy out in a traditional traditional again whatever but like a school sense where yeah. you're put in a team you're in the a team or you're not in a team really um at least that was the way it was at my school and you get categorized as being sporty or not sporty and in that context, no, I wasn't sporty. But actually, I was taking myself myself for a run and, you know, jumping over things and going out to the woods and just, just basically just, like, being active and outdoors. And I used to do gymnastics as well, which I absolutely loved, but it wasn't really something that my school offered. It was just sort of an after-school club. And um, it was kind of through that that I realised that actually the what people mean when they say sporty is not actually what being sporty could be like there are so many other options out there and when I hit the age of about 15 I took up squash um it was started to be offered as like an alternative to like basically all of the other sports and I took up squash and I just fell in love with it I was like oh this is like the an example of the sort of sport that you can do as a as an adult and when you get to choose the sport that you want to do suddenly it becomes a lot more fun because you've put yourself in that situation and I just absolutely fell in love with it got loads better and um, then realized that the endorphin kick from doing exercise is kind of what I was missing in my life and yeah I mean from there it was just from one sport to the next and oh yeah I loved it well for anyone that's played squash will know exactly how difficult and how much fitness it actually takes to if you know if you're if you're full-on playing a match squash I remember playing that at school I'd always finish and just be tired the I mean as a I'm fairly tall and moving a lot of weight around so actually moving around a small squash court for me was quite <laughs> was quite difficult and tiring but I want to touch on how you cross train and get involved in different sports and how that supports your running but with specifically running I mean you've said there you've done your little runs around the garden and things like that but where did the door to I'm going to use the quotation marks again traditional running sort of open to you was it at university or before? Um, I took up running in a very small way at uni because it was one of the few clubs that you didn't have to have any prior skill to to join and also the social life was like great Um, and so I basically joined for the Wednesday night activities (laughs) going down to Bunker shout out to Bunker for any Bristol uni students Um, and it was it was basically just like my social life and I would occasionally go to a track session here and there or every Monday night there was a run around the docks which was really lovely because it was for all skills which is just as well because I wasn't very good but really I didn't run very much and I I actually suffered from IT band syndrome on and off for a very 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 long time like seven years six years in the end um, on and off Um, but it wasn't until I had left uni and was asked to join, uh, to, to join a little, um, trip to Tokyo with ASICS, uh, to run Tokyo marathon. 
that I actually started to train regularly and properly for an event. So I'd never actually done a race um, outside of like track basically um, until I left university and um, it just happened to be a marathon, which was <laughs> a little bit old. Um, yeah, throw yourself in the deep end. Exactly. I mean, I, you'll learn this is something I do quite a lot, but um, <laughs> I basically did my first 10K race in training for this marathon. So I was asked at really, really short notice um, and didn't do super well um, because I arrived at the start line already with IT band syndrome in one of my legs and then about 20 something K in, got it in the other leg as well and basically just death marched my way with straight legs to the end. And it was actually, it was a pretty miserable race itself. I mean, <laughs> it being in Tokyo aside, it was actually incredible obviously, yeah. but, um, but in terms of my experience and doing my training justice, it wasn't like a really positive experience for me. But having said that, it was the first time that I trained regularly and I did complete the 42 kilometers, which is something that I never believed I could do. And coming from like more of a track running background, not that I really did it very much, but I'd never really raced more than I think like 300 meters. I think that was that was the maximum distance that I ever raced as an indoor um, indoor distance. And um, I suddenly did 42 kilometers and it completely changed my mindset from oh, you're not good at sports to actually, you know what, if you train for something, it turns out, even if you're in considerable amount of pain, you can do it. If you put your mind to it, you can do it. And it's such a cliche, but I think it's something that almost everyone who has come from not being sporty and then who does something like this, it just completely changes their mindset about what you are actually capable of. I've, I've, I've said that to friends of mine that say, you know, I tell them about these amazing people that I get to have conversations with and what they achieve and what they do. And they say, Oh, well, they're just superhuman physical freaks that, you know, and, and in some cases I will say that's true, but there's some people that are just unbelievable people like Dean, Dean Carnes that are just built for ultra running. But I always say to them, you're capable of so much more than you actually give yourself credit for both mentally and physically, the, whether it be, heading to your first park run or taking on your first ultra marathon, I think what you just said there really will resonate going, well, actually, I couldn't ever believe that going from 300 meter track running to completing my first marathon, that would have been possible. I mean, were you able to learn much about running about yourself in that short time period? Or has it been obviously mostly the time since where you've learned a lot more about the running community and what actually how to enjoy running a lot more? Yeah, a bit of both. Like the learning curve has been endless and steep and also wonderful. Um, but when I, this is something that Alex Hutchinson talks about really well in his book, um, Endure, which is what I, I read it when I was training up for Tokyo Marathon. So I was really interested in, I mean, the, the subtitle is, I think, like exploring the curious limits of human potential. And it, it talks about central governor theory, which is essentially that your body, like you say, is capable of, of so much and it's your brain that tells you to stop and anyone who's been for a run when they're not really feeling motivated will understand this really well whether or not they've actually thought about it you want to stop long 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 before your body has to stop and um that's something that i learned for the first time when i was training up for tokyo and then relearned over and over again and what i thought i was capable of shifted and then I was capable of even more than that. And it's just kind of like a, a positive feedback loop um, 
whereby you start to do things because you're like, well, maybe if I completed that thing, having never run more than 10K, I can do this other thing. And um, it really, I think it just changes the way your brain is shaped because it it's really applicable to other parts of your life. You know, you, you, you go and do an ultra marathon or a marathon or even like your first 5K, like couch to 5K is really tough. And especially if you're not active, actually getting getting out there and saying, I'm going to give this a go. And like 5,000 meters is a long way. If you'd ask a track person how far 5,000 meters is, they'll be like, that's a really <laughs> long way. But anyone, this is including professional athletes. And um, yeah, you just I think you just change the way that your brain is shaped and um, realize that you can actually just do so much more than you think you can do. And that is most the one of the most wonderful things, I think, to realize in your life. Talking of thinking about what you're capable of after completing something, I imagine when you crossed the line at Tokyo, you you were in a, a quite a lot of pain and probably thinking, why did I do that? But how long after that did you then go, oh, well, what about this or what can I do? Um, it was actually pretty quick. I was disappointed in myself. Um, and I think a lot of type A people do spend a lot of their time being quite disappointed in themselves. Um, just because we put a lot of pressure on ourselves to be the best that we can be, you know, that's a human nature thing. Um, and I hadn't lived up to the expectation, not only that I had of myself, but also that hundred thousand people who are following me online also had of me, you know, I was going out there and I thought I could do a certain thing and I didn't achieve that thing. Um, although I finished, I didn't achieve the time that I had kind of hoped for, but actually like within the space of half a day, like another six hours from the finish, I was already saying like, Oh, well actually, you know what? I nearly pulled out of the race in advance. I was jet lagged. We'd only been like we'd only flown out like two days before. Um, I ha I've had this injury for five years. Um, it wasn't going to go away overnight. I've completed 40 kilometers. Like all of these things where I was like actually trying to find the positives in the situation. I think that's really important to, to not put yourself off forever. And um, just as a slight tangent, like <laughs> I do a lot of dog training. Um, I've got a dog. She's literally lying down there. <laughs> and um, every, every like training session, you try and end it on something positive that they know that they can do and um i think with kids and with dogs or pets you you are so kind to them and you kind of try and like find the positives and everything and yet with ourselves we spend a lot of time just beating ourselves up about like not being able to be perfect and everything but you shouldn't really expect that overnight and that's kind of essentially like i'd expected to be able to do that in the space of like 10 weeks and and that didn't happen but it's not surprising that it didn't happen if it had been a friend of mine who had finished but not finished in the time that they'd wanted I'd be like yeah but you haven't done like any long distance running up to that point you should be so proud of yourself and yet to myself I was being kind of cruel so um but then actually yeah it was pretty soon afterwards that I was like let's find the positives in this and then like this is not a closed book you know we go again we do something else um and and yeah push your limits interesting yeah I, I remember crossing the line on my first half marathon an event and going I will never do that again I think I verbally said it out loud saying I, I will never do that again and then within I think like you said that next six hours you go you, that runner's high sort of sets in and what you've actually achieved resonates with you and then you go well actually what if I sign up for this and sign up for that and it just starts and I think a lot of runners will will definitely understand that feeling that that you've spoken about and you actually just started touching on something I was going to ask later, but now seems like the right time about addressing sort of DNFs and maybe not being up to scratch with your expectations of a race or an event or something like that. And it's so important that it's actually something that you've 
pinned on your Instagram because you want people to see that. What was your experience of, you know, do not finishing, did not finish a DNF in in a race? And what would be your advice to people that maybe have experienced that and might be quite disappointed? Yeah, so um, for those of you who don't know, I signed up for an 100k race, uh, my longest ever race um, in the Lake District, a nice flat one to start with, (laughs) um, on the 1st of April this year and um, had theoretically a great training plan leading up to it. Um, And then just everything went wrong. I had heart problems at the beginning of the year. Um, I then got injured and then I had a really bad infection um, a few weeks beforehand and had been on antibiotics until the week before the race. And so my training, I think I did seven weeks out of my 16 week training block. Um, And it was literally, I had the highest expectations and then the worst training block of my life. Um, and it was a case of like, do I do the race or shall I save myself kind of save face almost and, you know, not start the race. And I had, I had loads of races back to back, um, three weeks before, no, that was my first race of the season. And then I had another race three weeks later and then another race two weeks after that. Um, and so I was very aware of the fact that I couldn't completely rinse myself in the Lakes Traverse. Um, I had to be able to do those two other races later in the season because otherwise not only do I have one not very good race, but then I have three not very good races back to back and I just couldn't cope with that. So anyway, I started out the race. I actually did a pretty quick uh, 50K, which I was super happy with. And then just everything fell apart. Just the wheels fell off. Um, my IT band flared up for the first time in I don't know, like five years or something, um, completely randomly. It hasn't been painful since, super random. Um, I had a hip flexor problem, which meant that I couldn't lift my right leg up. And if anyone's been to the Lake District, you know how rocky it is and how hilly it is. And if you can't lift your feet up, you're going to be tripping over constantly. So I was just tripping over constantly, which um, psychologically speaking, you know, I wasn't making up any ground. I was so slow. And at 60 kilometers, um, I I basically... Uh, well, I decided to not finish yeah. <laughs> DNF. Um, and I mean, it was the best decision I made. And it was really clear in my head from about 52 kilometers, 53 kilometers in that I didn't want to finish the race. And to me, I always thought DNFing would be really hard. It's my first ever DNF. I've never, ever, ever considered not finishing a race before, let alone actually going ahead with it. And, but but actually, in this case, it was super clear. I had a list. I had a list of criteria in which I wouldn't finish the race, um, and those criteria were things like: um, first and foremost, are you having fun? And like, ultra running is not always going to be fun. But at the end of the day, the overarching feeling has to be of enjoyment. Like, you have to want to be there because no one's finishing an 100k race not wanting to be there. Um, secondly, is this going to injure you so that you can't do your next races? Thirdly, is this going to cause a more permanent injury, meaning that you can't actually do anything this year? Um, and like a list of things like that. And, and I ticked all the boxes and I was like, right, well, I've preset this list of criteria where I might not finish. I've ticked all those boxes. So I need to DNF. And actually in that, in that scenario, it was a really easy decision for me to make. And I think there is so much stigma and shame around DNFs but it gets people in sticky situations. And sometimes the best thing to do is to stop. Um, And like I said before, I think there's so much like macho crap on social media and 
um, not helped by the fact that it is a vastly male-dominated field, ultra-running, and exploring and adventuring in general. And I think there's a lot of saving face and, you know, saying, well, you know, I really pushed through this pain and I finished and aren't I amazing? Um, So I really wanted to share kind of the opposite, the antithesis of that. Like, you use your head, you decide that actually today is not the day and there are more races to come in future and actually by by not finishing this one you'll be in a much better state for the next race and etc etc um yeah so that's what the post is about like there is no shame in it and um you don't want to make a habit of it of course because that does bad things to your head but there are certain situations where it's the best thing to do and you just got to be aware of that i mean and actually fair play to you for having the clarity of thought to actually take yourself out of that you know idea of you know I've um, I've signed up for this I've, I've trained maybe not optimally you know in the optimum way but I've trained for it I'm, I'm here I'm gonna you know do it and push myself through it and instead you went no actually the smart thing to do here is and the correct thing to do here is to step away I mean is there a bookmark in that page of I'm gonna revisit that race in the future now or is that sort of moved past yeah uh, yeah, there are so many bookmarks and so many pages. <laughs> I'm really happy. I'm really happy with what I've achieved. Um, or rather, I'm always happy with what I've achieved. And I also always think that I could do more. Um, I did a 52 miler last summer and it went fantastically. It's 85 kilometers. So it's really not that far off 100k. Um, and that was along the Cotswold Way. It was absolutely beautiful. I did it in like 10 and a half hours, which considering it was a little bit hilly, I'm like, I'm pretty happy with. Yeah. Um, and then I thought, actually, you know what? I can absolutely do 100K. But it is just a reminder that, you know, these are not distances to be messed with. Any one of a number of things can go wrong, usually more than one thing. And um, you just have to respect it and really train for it. And I knew full well that I was not prepared for that race. And I'm very used to death marching um, at, at least a certain distance in, a, in an ultra. But um, this would have been a case of death marching 40 kilometers. And 40 kilometers is hard enough in and of itself, let alone across the Lake District. Um, but yeah, absolutely. I will go back to 100K. And I've got some crazy races later this year that will be pushing the boundaries of what I think I can do. Um, and hopefully, fingers crossed, they'll all they'll all help me believe that I can do 100K in one day and just get out there and <laughs> kind of get it done. What difficulties does it present when the internet has its eyes on you, both in, you know, being yourself, but also in this fitness world as well? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I've been doing Instagram for like 13 years now. Um, so I have, I haven't always been sporty. Like it originally was a food Instagram account. Um, I had an eating disorder and I was recovering from the eating disorder and I was just sharing my meals and stuff on social media. Um, so I've kind of developed alongside that, you know, I was only whatever, like 15 years old uh, when I started it. So my sports kind of career has like developed alongside social media. So I don't really know what it's like not to have those followers watching like the things that I do. And also I've learned to take a step back from it quite a lot for my own sanity. Um, Having said that, one of the best things about the running community is the community aspect and the fact that generally people are incredible and so supportive of everyone not just people at the front of the pack just absolutely everyone and especially as a woman in this um field it's it's like 
the support is immense from guys and gals like everyone is lovely um and having social media is kind of just an extension of that um but at the same time I mean, I don't need anyone else to put pressure on me. I put enough pressure on myself, I think. Um, so actually what other people say is never as bad as what my brain sometimes says to myself. Um, but yes, there is a lot of pressure. And certainly when I first started out with Tokyo Marathon, I, I had a few months of being pretty depressed actually after afterwards because I I know that people expected more from me than I was able to achieve and I expected more from me than I did achieve and it basically just that endless disappointment from other people and from myself way outweighed the messages of like support yeah which you know it's it's literally like the 1% is horrible messages and the 99% is lovely but our brains are just wired just wrong <laughs> to look for the danger in things and to look for the the negatives and i spent a lot of time like trying to make myself um a lot more optimistic and a lot more of a positive person but at that at that moment in time i did really struggle um but i as i've got better and as i've got more um i feel very at home in the ultra community even though i've only been running ultras for literally like less than three years um, I feel very at home in it and I know what I can do and I know that a DNF doesn't detract from the fact that I'm still capable of 100k so I think my mindset has changed people's messages might not have changed and like I say the vast majority are really supportive but my mindset has changed I know what I'm capable of and I know where my limits are and I'm just going to continue doing what I enjoy to do uh, enjoy doing kind of regardless of, of what kind of people people say and, and regardless of the pressure I try not to let the pressure get to me, basically. And sometimes it does, but the vast majority of the time, I'm just sort of happy poodling around. <laughs> <laughs> poodling around, running running with your dogs, taking on crazy challenges and stuff like that. Um, I think, like you said, I completely agree. The social media gives an opportunity for community and support. It also opens up uh, opportunities for debate and discourse. And there was, you know, touched on one of your pin posts on Instagram being about dnfs and your thoughts around that there's another one which is about a social media comment that was asking you to not be political on your platforms and uh, elaborate on that a little bit what what was the situation with that and what's your thought about actually this is your platform and what is political <laughs> yeah no um this is probably the fa my favorite post that i've ever done um i'm really scared of of coming across as confrontational or aggravating or whatever on social media <laughs> or in, in person. And um, it was a really scary post for me to do. But actually, as you can probably tell, if you read the post, I feel pretty passionately about this. Um, so I have a YouTube channel and I share me just running around the country, basically, um, on lots of different trail runs and beautiful places. And, and one of these runs was in the Brecon Beacons and uh, sorry I'm still calling it the old name um and um I basically was talking so my background's in biology I have a degree in biology and ecology and conservation and um, specifically and I was talking about how it's such a shame that so many sheep are allowed to graze in national parks um because basically sheep eat saplings and that means that forests can't regenerate themselves so um you have a very limited amount of forest in these places you know if you think of um most of our national parks they're basically just like a lot of 
grassland essentially and that's because of the grazing pressure on them it's okay to have a certain amount of grazing pressure but sheep specifically are pretty awful um in terms of conservation and um i mentioned this um I'm not completely clueless about this subject. I do like have a background in it. And I mentioned it in my video and someone was like, oh, I wish, like, I love this video, but I wish you'd stop being so political about certain things. And I was like, hang on a second. Like everything we do is political. Um, and as the post mentions, like the only people who don't think that running is political is people who benefit off the status quo, people who have always been able to just go out for a run and never felt unsafe, never been wolf whistled at, never had the clothes that they're wearing, you know, questioned, always been able to have access to clean water, always been able to have access to the countryside. Like all of this stuff is political. None of this is given. And I just thought what a privileged position to find yeah. yourself in just assuming that you're always going to be able to run, like even in um, Bernal, like even access to there and, you know, this whole, um, like the mass trespass, for example, of, of Kinder Scout, that is all political. The only reason that we have access to so much of our land here in the UK, and actually it's not so much of our land, the only reason we have that is because of people going out and fighting for it and to believe that, that that's just a given right is completely bonkers in my head. It's, it's kind of clueless. And so I did this post and actually the support was immense. And I think a lot of people, you know, I'm not exactly from an unprivileged background. I have had a really privileged background, but I still have made myself aware of these things and I'm still learning so much as well day to day. Um, and like as a woman as well, you know, feeling safe on the streets, not being wolf whistled at, feeling like I can go for a run when it gets dark in winter, you know, going for those early morning runs or, you know, as soon as it gets to the afternoon, it's dark. And I know a lot of people who would not feel safe. And like, that's a political thing. All of this is political. And to believe that it's not is, is just, you just haven't been thinking about it enough. Yeah, the more you dive into it, I mean, a friend of the podcast, Charlotte Clark, who's another, you know, someone who loves who is a great ultra runner and a friend who says that she got to a point where she had to turn off the locations on her Strava because people were, like, were, were sort of either challenging her or she just felt like it wasn't safe. And there's a great photo of another great ultra runner, Sophie Powers, who's breastfeeding her child during an ultra marathon race. And that got a lot of backlash. And she went, well, not, this is the most natural thing ever. Like what, how is there an issue with this? I think you're right. I think, Again, you might look at running and go, yes, it's this area of freedom and escape. And But actually, if you deep dive into it, there is, well, not even deep dive, but if you, there is a lot of political connotations with it. And it's really interesting and refreshing to hear your opinion of the, that and understanding of that. And yeah. actually, the fact that you say as well, I'm always learning about new things and trying to be open and acceptable to, to learning new things, which I think is really important. Yeah, and it's something that Stephanie Case talks really well about as well. Um, she runs a charity, and basically it's about getting women and girls in war-torn countries out running. And like the, the idea that we wouldn't be able to leave the house and go for a run is kind of an anathema to yeah. most of us in the West. And yet that is the situation in so many parts of the world. And it doesn't mean that you have to feel like you don't have to feel guilty about that because it's not your fault, but you do have to be aware of it. I think, I think there's this whole thing of like people just like blinkering themselves 
And, you know, I think a lot of us, myself included, are really guilty of being like, oh, well, all you have to do is buy a pair of running shoes. And that's a great thing about running. It's so simple. You just buy a pair of running shoes and you just head out. But that's not really the case. And in so many countries, that's absolutely not the case. Um, and I just think it's it's good to be aware of that. I, that's really interesting because I, when I was talking to Anna on the podcast about running, in fact, one of the things that we said, you know, it, there is a, a real accessibility of running, which is true, but I hadn't, you know, I'd failed to consider the fact that actually worldwide, it's not that simple that running isn't super accessible. And, you know, learn is again, just being aware of what, I guess that's the privilege you have in here, but just being aware of those different elements um, of running. So I find that really interesting. Another thing that I really wanted to pick your brains about, because I know it's a passion of yours, is about how we can be sustainable in the running community and then just in general. But um, how can we as runners be more considerate and take more appreciation and be more sustainable in our running habits and journeys? Yeah, it's a good question. I think um, as people who love the outdoors, we are just already pretty aware of the amazing stuff out there and what there is to protect. And I think that's the first step is wanting to protect the places that we run and that we love so much, especially as a trail runner. You know, I go to the most amazing places, you know, even just around here. And I want those places to remain pristine, beautiful habitats like they are. Um, And that's really the first step is like, be aware of what there is to protect. Um, but then I also think being conscious of things like your diet, how much you're flying to races. I think that is a real issue is that like so many of the most amazing races, are obviously in Europe or abroad or US or whatever. And I know a lot of people who, who love to, to kind of fly around the world. And I'm absolutely not about flight shaming because I think most of our issues are um, systemic and at you know government level, not about individual actions. But I think it's also possible for us to think about the races that we're entering and also think about the way that we can get there. So, for example, I'm going to Chamonix twice this year, um, which is super exciting. But mm-hmm. I'm taking the train both times. Um, once is for work, so work have said that they are able to pay for that, which is really good. And I think people don't even think to ask, like, if they're going up to Glasgow, for example, the the null is to just take a flight up to Glasgow. But getting a train is not that much further. It's like five hours from London. You can work that whole way or nap or whatever. And actually... <laughs> It's something that you can just just think about it and just like ask your workplace if that's something that's possible. And I think it's just being aware of like of your impact and how can you reduce that. But then, like I say, it's the balance of individual actions versus like systemic change. Vote, use your voice, campaign for things, all of this kind of stuff, and speak to your community about it as well. I I think the Green Runners, for example, are great because like I said, like so many runners are really interested in protecting the outdoors, but don't know where to start. And having something like the Green Runners is a way of of kind of all coming together and realizing that actually everyone cares about this stuff and you're not alone in caring about it. And you don't have to be 100% vegan, for example, but you can not fly to America three yeah. times a year or whatever. Like there's so much stuff. It is just endless and i i don't want to just be like a, a basic bitch and be like turn off the light <laughs> after you leave the room but like there is just so much stuff that you can do and i think most importantly is like finding a community and talking to people about it yeah awareness is one of the biggest things i guess is and that's i, I imagine what a lot of the green runners do is m- building an awareness of actually what we can do to protect the places that we love i think it was 
um, Cotswold Outdoor that did photos of landmarks in the UK and what they look like now and what they will look like in sort of 40, 50 years if we don't look after them properly. And it actually put in to, to perspective that that's a, a, a lifetime a away. Yeah, and it's a possibility. And actually, we can look after it. And even, like you said, trail running, little things like sticking to trails and being appreciative of the, the wilderness that's around and lots of little things that, that we can do as individuals to make and, and, and to, to build up the running community and make us greener effectively I mean yeah. I think you'd also put on your website about little things that you can do like obviously as runners sometimes people invest in new trainers and new kit and being able to recycle that and pass it along and not just throw it away yeah so this was one a major thing that I was about to say is like I always forget about this which is crazy because it's I think it's just so normal for me to think about that I forget to tell people about it but kit is one like new kit all the time is something that runners love and I just I just can't get my head around it. And I do. I love new kit, but <laughs> it is so bad for the environment to be getting new shoes, new tops, new shorts every season. We just don't need it. Same with non-running kit, like just our everyday clothes. The clothing industry is one of the most polluting industries in the world. And also in terms of the ethics of clothing production, it is just not really great, especially like, pretty much all major sports brands are, are just really not doing enough on this. And um, I think just by buying less, you're not contributing to that as much um, and buying secondhand as well. And, and like, it doesn't even need to be used stuff. Like a lot of people buy things, find out it doesn't fit, have missed the returns thing and they'll stick it up online on like Vinted or Depop or whatever. And you can get that stuff secondhand, but it's actually new. And by doing that, you're not contributing to buying new stuff online all the time. And yeah, I, I think it's, again, it's just changes of habits. Like I haven't bought a new item of clothing in a really, really long time because I just tend, tend to buy secondhand stuff. Um, and I do understand the irony of saying this when my entire job as an influencer is to apparently sell people things. Um, but I really, I just, it's just being aware of your impact and not getting stuff that you don't need the whole time. I think, yeah, uh, we're all hypocrites. I certainly am, I know, but um yeah, I think there's so much more that we could all be doing. Yeah, and as like I think, like you said earlier, always learning more and always be, you know, trying to be more aware of what you can do is is not like sometimes we're going to be hypocrites and sometimes we might not do the right thing. But actually, as long as we're open to trying to be better and doing what we can, then I think I think you can't you can't knock anyone. And I think, like not I think I know this podcast has been full of nuggets of information really entertaining stories that i'm looking forward to to putting out there what have you got coming up next in the near future what's in the calendar what can you talk about what's what's going on uh with you flora uh, that's coming up in the near future well i have a very exciting second half of this year which um so far is going really well i'm four weeks into a 16 week training block um and within the next 12 weeks I guess yeah I've got two races the first one is OCC which is part of UTMB week which is like the biggest event of the trail running calendar it's um uh well the big race is Ultra Tour de Mont Blanc which is around Mont Blanc it's like uh, 170 kilometers or something I'm not doing that one I'm doing <laughs> OCC which is uh later in the week and that is um uh, 56 kilometers around the Alps and it is 
stunning absolutely stunning wow. i did the 40 kilometer version two years ago and literally by the end yes my legs hurt but my cheeks hurt from smiling so much and just going around every corner and being like wow <laughs> this is crazy um so that's my race in august and then in september i have a five-day ultra marathon um in sweden wow um the swedish high coast which is going to be 225 kilometers so it's kind of like five marathons in five days um, on average and it's gonna be crazy um yeah i'm super excited <laughs> more, more, I'm, I'm sure switzerland there'll be more beautiful views and scenery as well there so no the first one's in in the outs the second one's in sweden oh That's sorry sweden sorry I think it's yeah. but yes in terms of views yeah absolutely yeah. it's gonna be gorgeous um and it's called the high coast so it's like a set route kind of like our southwest coast path um quite different because I don't think it's as built up there and I, I'm just so excited it's just going to be absolutely stunning oh, amazing well I hope your training's going going well and best of luck for those events where can people go to follow along on your journey to see what else you're up to in the future so the vast majority of stuff I put on my Instagram um which is at food fitness flora um and then I also share a vlog a week about my training usually but like my latest one was about canacross running with your dog um <laughs> with this amazing canacross guy who's 5k time by the way with his dog is faster than joshua chapter guy who has the world's fastest ever 5k time so wow. he's very quick um anyway so i do lots of things on there and um uh, you can just find it by typing in flora beverly uh, which is my name and then i also have tiktok uh which you can probably type in food fitness flora and it'll probably come up i think um, I'm very bad at TikTok, but if you like TikTok, <laughs> please give me tips because I don't know what I'm doing. Um, <laughs> yeah, those, those are my main things. I also have a blog, which is um, foodfitnessflora.blog, and I've got a lot of articles on there about various things like sustainability, and I've got a couple of recipes and, and all sorts, um, but I haven't updated it in a very long time. So, uh, yeah, um, probably Instagram is the one. Well, I'm looking forward to following along your your races in the next well the second half of the year that's that's super super exciting canacross is not a word i've actually heard before that's a new one i'm gonna oh look God, into that you've been missing out. i know well oh well, i think we said before this recording i've got labradors that won't run that far so i'll have to either find another dog that will run with me but that's that's, that's a new word to the repertoire um the final thing uh from you i offered you a piece of advice at the beginning and now is your opportunity to leave a piece of advice about can be about anything at all. Doesn't have to be about running um, for a guest that will be coming on to the podcast in the near future. Um, so I don't know who it's going to be. So I'm hoping that like me, they're a bit of a type A person who's a little bit hard on themselves um, because this advice is as much for myself as for them. But um, I think just don't get caught up in your head about whether you're good enough to be doing something or to be where you are if you're having fun that's enough just enjoy it amazing flora it's been a genuine pleasure to have you on the podcast this morning really really thank you thank you for coming on and sharing all of this information with us and i look forward to passing that advice along thank you thank you so much it's been great and that brings us to the end of this week's episode with my special guest, Flora Beverly. Thank you, Flora, for coming onto this podcast and thank you for listening. Please, as I said at the beginning, share it with someone if you think they'd enjoy it just as much as you. It means that by growing this amazing community, we can bring on even more amazing guests such as Flora.
We'll be back next week with another one of these amazing, inspirational and entertaining guests. And until that time, I've been Dominic Brown. Enjoy the outdoors. Outdoors.